Turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we are indeed a privileged people that we have here the words of Isaiah, the words of all the Old Testament prophets, and even especially the New Testament writers that have proclaimed the, the gospel to us, and the Spirit has communicated to us the meaning and application of our dear Lord and Savior's death and how we can live lives that would reflect our gratitude. Father, we just pray this afternoon as we would open your word that you would speak to each of our hearts, that it would not just be something we would listen to, but something that would we allow to change us. Father, you know our needs and even the needs of those who cannot be present. We want to lift them up in prayer also. Encourage them. We want to pray especially for Brother Edwin. Thank you for bringing him through the worst of this COVID. Please help him to recover, to be able to stand on his feet again so he can regain some independence and give Sister Barb great strength and much wisdom for the, the uh, decisions she has to make. And as well as there are many who are dealing with illness and with uh, old age, we pray a special grace for them and those that are taking care of them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So just uh, before this afternoon service, we were um, having our choir practice. And uh, rather than uh, digging into some perhaps new choral pieces, we instead were developing ourselves and learning how to listen to each other, learning how to sing in harmony. It's a special thing that our church has, a tradition that we have that we know how to sing in four-part harmony, but even though we sit in the benches and we look at a book and we sing the same notes, that doesn't mean that we're actually united and actively listening and making the, the, the beautiful uh, music that, that uh, can be done. And so we were, we were corrected. We were gently admonished and uh, learned to see the difference between rote, you know, singing and following what is on the page versus listening and harmonizing and, and together not only seeing the words but meaning the same things, feeling the same things. Um, last, uh, it was uh, I guess two weeks ago, we read together from Ephesians chapter 5 and we learned about the importance of singing these songs and admonishing and encouraging one another, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <coughs> Let's start from that verse and continue to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> so this is Ephesians 5, beginning from verse 19. <clears throat> Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Is there a connection between that and harmonizing? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I guess I never noticed the context here of singing spiritual songs, making melody in our heart, the harmony of doing so, and the harmony that the Lord is pointing to between Christ and his body, between husband and wife. As we said, we have a um, beautiful tradition of singing multi-parts, which provides a, a deeper, richer music And you can imagine it wouldn't be nearly as beautiful if all the ladies decided to sing bass. Um, It would lack melody. It would lack beauty. It would be heavy. It, It would not be a beautiful thing. And yet, in today's society, we think that we don't need multiple parts. Uh, We think that uh, everyone should be interchangeable. We we think that everyone should have the same roles, same, um, uh, no no difference uh, in our, what we can and should uh, be doing. And that doesn't make for nearly the same beauty that God has intended. Harmony. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. As we stood here or even out in the foyer, we had to not just say, okay, I've got the notes. That was kind of my first pass. I I think I know how to read these notes. I see the director is directing a certain time and I'm singing the notes at the right time, I think I'm doing the right thing. But we were correct and said, no, 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 that was not good. Because 
my interpretation and others and where we were breathing and it wasn't in sync. It didn't harmonize. And I had to not just follow the rules, but listen so that I can hear where other people are breathing, where they're moving, where they're feeling things are going. Uh, whether this is becoming a, a phrasing, you know, the, the high point here or there, otherwise it didn't come together. It became kind of many different people singing the same thing, but not a one harmonized voice. We're encouraged here that we are the body of Christ. Now, we've talked about that in the previous chapter. I know it's been some time uh, about what that means to be the body of Christ, how each one in particular is uniquely gifted to have some essential contribution to the overall development and growth as we become more like Jesus. But that needs to be done in harmony. It needs to be done, we heard, active listening, where we're not just saying, well, I'm following the Bible. I'm doing the right things. I don't know about anybody else here, but I'm doing what's right. Versus being in tune with, well, where are other people? Do they need someone to come alongside? Do they need someone to speak the truth in love? Do they need encouragement? Do they need strengthening? Is there an in-tuneness as we are the body of Christ? And of course, as the body, your coordination doesn't come from a bunch of parts trying to be united, but from us being united with a head. And we're told here how Christ is that head, and that we, as we learn to submit to Christ, as we learn to align our wills with him, as we learn to give up my selfish desires, my short-term goals, and listen and be in tune with the, the, the spirit that's giving me Christ's will, then I, can, I am in tune and we can together be in tune and coordinated as the body of Christ. And that picture is being given to us that that marriage is God's way of showing the world how he himself is, how the Christ and the church are connected. We, we get insight into how the Trinity, the triune nature of God, have been in harmony for eternity past. How love works, not in the abstract, not just words on a page, but in reality. Our church has a blessing not only of four-part harmony singing, but of having families that are uh, strong families that stick together, that don't follow the divorce rate of the current society, even sadly, Christian culture. Um, and that's a good thing because otherwise we're not reflecting God's trying nature, neither are we reflecting Christ in the church, and we're not glorifying him. As we're given instructions here, 
there are different roles. Some might sing tenor, others sing alto. And we're given roles not only to listen and be in tune and submit to each other in the fear of God, but the next verse tells us that wives should submit themselves to their own husbands as unto the Lord. That's a pretty, pretty heavy. Um, we're talking about submitting to uh, a, fra a frail, fallible, human being as unto Christ who is infallible, who is the Son of God, that seems to be a, a, a quite a, a high challenge. And he goes on to, to say that the husband is placed by God as the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body kind of implying things, as we'll get into, for the, the man's role within this relationship. So, as we were singing here, we needed, if we all waited for each other, who's gonna start? There would not be clear direction but as we have a leader, that leader can give us direction and say, okay, this is not only when we're going to start, this is we're going to sing this part faster. This part's going to be more loud and, and joyful. This part's going to be softer. This is reverent. This is sad. And, and, and cues us in so we are in sync in those things. Now, we did a little bit of experiment here. Uh, you missed it. Uh, we started training new leaders so that they all have an opportunity. And some of them may not have a lot of experience. But it was important for us to be in tune with them. And if that leader decided to go faster at this phrase, say, well, who are you to think that this should be fast? I think it should be more stately or should be more reverent, and I disagree with what you're doing. It would not work. We need to be in sync with that leader. And as we're in sync with that leader, that leader who may be new, may not have a lot of confidence, may not know, and uh, maybe the first time, you know, uh, coordinating a singing group, they start to get a feel. They start to understand, oh, so this is what it feels like to, to lead other people, and I have a responsibility. When I stop, they actually stop. When I get loud, they actually do it. They actually are responding to me. I have a responsibility. What I do matters. It has an impact. Now I need to be in tune and careful about shaping that and having, making sure that that charge, that mandate that I've been given, I use it to the furtherance of God's glory. Men tend to be pretty insecure ladies. And uh, they can easily have their balloon deflated, if you will, of confidence. Um, and, and, you know, it, it may not take much. And that's why if they're going to be put into this role of answering to God and so on, it, it really helps when there's a wife who 
can say, yes, I will support you and submit to that. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to listen to each other. We start off submitting to one another, and there may be strengths. But to submit and actually go with it so that a man learns that he has that responsibility, that he learns that he has to take that initiative, and that if he doesn't, there are consequences. Now, this triggers words. You can't go far in our culture without hearing words like patriarchy, misogyny, of you know the toxic masculinity of, of male domination throughout time and uh, how that has done incalculable harm. And as a result, there, there's a fear that if I submit to this fallible man who I know has character weaknesses and does things wrong, and I actually know better in some instances what to do, am I not making myself vulnerable to harm in, the, in, in, in doing so? But let me assure you that this is not the same thing as misogyny, patriarchy, the image of the man who rules his home for his own indulgence and self-will and ego uh, to, to take advantage and to be self-centered. Because the patriarchy implies that the man is the head, but he is not the ultimate head. He is subject to Christ, who is subject to the Heavenly Father. And as Christ demonstrates this beautiful picture of submission to the Heavenly Father, you have that model of something that's not, that's not debasing, that's not devaluing, that's not erasing any of your God-given value and glory. In fact, you are the glory of the man. But it is something that is, is um, bringing greater glory to God. And these are lessons that I have to learn myself. There's, there's times where, back up a minute, I don't think our problem in today's culture is that men take too much responsibility and direct and are too involved in in the, the guiding and vision casting and um, support of their homes. I think the problem that we have is rather an abdication, an apathy, an absenteeism of healthy male leadership. Uh, hollowed out, perhaps, but men have no excuse even as women may need to submit to imperfect men, men need to lead women who may not be giving them that perfect submission. And despite it being more difficult for a woman to submit to a male authority she has difficulty respecting, it may be difficult for you to, to, to lead a woman who is not respecting you. That doesn't change your responsibility before God to do that. But the, my point is that 
our God's design works, even if it's difficult for us as individuals. And the opposite of God's design causes problems, and we don't have far to look to see weak male leadership, lack of leadership, lack of investment, abandonment, withdrawal, um, you know, not pulling back from God-given responsibility, right? In the Bible, in Proverbs, says that a woman, a wise woman, buildeth her house, but a foolish woman teareth it down with her own hands. And here's an opportunity for you to build up those male leaders in your uh, under that you can submit to and to encourage them and to put that wind in their sails. And there is, it is a beautiful thing. The world, for all they say and spout, still sees the beauty and the attractiveness of a couple that are united and in one and, in that, and have that sort of uh, uh, connection of submission and leadership, loving leadership. The direction to the man is to love their wives. And if it's difficult to submit to a man as unto the Lord, the husband is to love that wife as much as Christ loves the church. And then it spells it out. How much did Christ love the church? He gave himself for it. Selfishness has no place in a marriage. Selfishness has no place in a marriage. That's tough, but that's what we don't see any room for that. Was Christ at all selfish? He gave himself for me. For me as the part of the church. He sacrificed, left heaven, as we heard this morning, and, and, and hung on that tree and did all to provide what I could not provide for myself. And here's the next verse. I want to give a little bit of time to think about this. I, re I remember on our honeymoon, trying to read this passage with my wife, and I don't think, and I remember coming across this verse, and I thinking, I don't fully understand this verse. Let's read it together. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing by the word. Christ, this is clearly talking about Christ, Christ is sanctifying the church, making it more holy by the washing of water by the word. The word, which word are we talking about? We're talking about the word of God. Some people think you know, we don't need to get so hung up about the words. But Jesus is the word. He is Logos in John 1. The one who was with God in the beginning and, and, and was God. He communicates truth 
that changes. And God, by that word, because by Christ all, was coming, all things were created, he was that word that caused the world to universe, creation to spring into being. All the, the, the lights and planets springing into being, all the creativity of, of life in plant life and water aqua life and, and, and air and then man himself through the word. The word bringing order out of chaos, life out of death. And that word is used to bring you and I as his body into a holy, in line, ordered lives. Lives that, he says, we can come and be presented as a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle, any blemish, anything that would detract that we would be holy and without blemish. What does that mean for you as a husband? Or maybe someone who would like to be a husband one day. How are you going to lead your home? What are you going to use to bring your home into alignment with God and to make it glorious, to make it without spot or wrinkle? It needs to be the washing of water by the word. You need to know, not only read the scripture for yourself, you need to know how to share it with those that you love. You need to share it with those that will need encouragement and direction and guidance. It's part of what it means to be like Christ. Because Christ is doing that for us right now through his word. And you and I, my dear brother, need to do that for our families or being prepared for doing that. The word is important. We need to be able to not only be washed and sanctified and remove those blemishes and wrinkles from ourselves, but have the courage, have the courage to biblically lead our homes. Now, here's a part of our culture that maybe needs some correction. In our culture, spiritual things are seen to be private. We don't talk about our inner life. We don't talk about what God might be convicting or showing us. That's not healthy. That's not what God wants. We need to be have the courage to pray in the home, not just here at church. We need to lead in prayer. We need to lead in reading the word of God. We need to lead in being transparent and sharing what God is doing, saying to us. And what you need as a leader to be thinking about those you're leading and what their needs are and what scripture applies to those needs and to communicate that 
That's what it means to be a husband. You can't just follow the book and say, I'm following the rules. You do your own thing. God hasn't given you that freedom. Christ didn't stay in heaven saying, I'm righteous and holy. You better do it too. Praise God, he gets involved and enables and encourages and corrects and admonishes us, or else where would we be as a church? Even so, men, you need to have active leadership, not passive leadership. Just as we needed to be active listening as we were singing those songs, there needs to be active in tuneness and awareness of what's going on with those that we love, that we're responsible for, and in a willingness to engage, even though it requires courage. That's what men need to do. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. You're not two anymore. You're one. And when you think that you can criticize your spouse... You're criticizing yourself. When you think you can be angry or cutting or whatever, whatever you do, you're doing to yourself. You're not two, you're one. And so anger and frustration and all these things, you gotta learn how to be constructive because you're hurting yourself by venting negative emotions. You need to instead nourish and cherish and see, not withdraw because you're one. You can't run away from your marriage. You cannot hurt the other person without hurting yourself. It's a boomerang. And you cannot starve and isolate you need to get involved and nourish and cherish. Nourish and cherish. Nourish means to provide the needed um, you know, food and, and, and water to, to make someone healthy. To cherish is not just nourishing. To cherish is to show how valuable and cherished and important the other person is to you. It requires some emotional vulner vulnerability. It requires honoring and lifting up the other person. We talked about how the woman needs to submit to the husband. The husband needs to cherish the wife. You don't cherish someone who's your slave or servant. You cherish someone that you put above yourself, that you're willing to make sacrifices for, that you consider to be valuable, more valuable than your own safety. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause, and now he quotes the very origin in the garden, 
that God instituted marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now when God said this to Adam and Eve, there weren't mothers and fathers. Why do you think he made a point of it? Apparently, it's so important that he set this precedent that this is where you leave and cleave, where you leave behind the protective um, covering of your previous nuclear family and you begin your own nuclear family that you are responsible for, in that you become one with someone in every sense of the word indivisible. Sometimes people have difficulty with that, leaving mother and father. It causes problems in a marriage because it's not biblical. You need to have, you can't have your foot on the land and your foot in the canoe. It's not going to work. You need to commit yourself to become one flesh. You can't say, I'm committed until, and then I'm out of here, right? Marriage is that full, two-footed commitment to become one with another person. This is a great mystery. Marriage is not just a human institution. It's not just something, a stage of life that we go through. It's not just a social organization. It's a mystery. There's more going on here than two people starting a new family. It's a mystery. It's a spiritual mystery. It involves God and Christ and the church being reflected, a, a union that is more than physical, it is a spiritual reality and can be a spiritual glory and is reflecting there is this huge weight of spiritual meaning, but nevertheless, he brings it down to earth. Nevertheless, the practical you and I living out of this glorious spiritual reality is, nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, that means each of us individually, without exception, so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. May God bless his word. Dare to do what Christ commanded. I, though the Lord has used me to speak these words, I freely acknowledge that I fall way short of what Christ has commanded me. I welcome your correction as I sorely need it. What we've been called to do is 
takes a dying to self. It can only be done through Christ's power. And therefore, it truly is a mystery this world cannot deny. Sadly, people come to these passages with a mindset of competition as if one gender is going to win and another gender is going to lose. G.K. Chesterton wrote this poem. If I set the sun beside the moon, if I set the land beside the sea, if I set the town beside the country, if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. God never intended this to be a competition. The body of Christ is not a competition. A marriage is not a competition. Being two different genders is not a competition. God designed two complementary roles that would give the maximum glory as it reflected his own character, as it reflected his image. We don't mess with that because it's not comfortable. We don't look down on other roles. Being in a head role is not necessarily um, a perk because it's not something you use for your personal gain or you've totally missed what Christ did for the church. Rather, this is where we have an opportunity to reflect God literally by how we love one another. May we go forth and do just that.